0: Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Very happy to be back and delighted to welcome back on the line Sports Pro Editorial Director, Michael Long. Hi Mike.
1: Hi Owen, how are you doing? Nice of you to drop my um, promotion in there, was that?
0: Yeah, not not at all, not at all. Congratulations.
1: Thank you Owen, thank you. Much appreciated.
0: Repositioned and no doubt itching to discuss the Sports Industry Week. Of course. Uh, We are going to be hearing a little bit later on from Anouk Mertens, the Chief Operating Officer at Eleven Sports Group, uh, dipping into the archives for an interview from SportsPro Live a few months back. We're also going to be discussing sporting events in Saudi Arabia, uh, a topic which has reared its head again in the last few days. Uh, But before that, Mike, we spent quite a lot of time on the pod last week with the rest of the team discussing paid content and the future of subscription-based offers, um, particularly in the context of The Athletic, uh, which had launched in the UK last monday shortly after we finished recording that pod uh, disney went public with the details of its disney plus uh, ott subscription mm-hmm. package announcing that it would be bundling not just the disney plus entertainment service but also espn plus and an ad supported version of hulu um, at the very aggressively pitched price of 12.99 a month Interesting, Mike, and a sign that the entertainment streaming wars are very much underway in the US.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think this is uh, obviously uh, something that's been coming for some time, isn't it? We, we've known that Disney Plus was, was launching later this year. Is it November? I think it's going live. And, uh, you know, obviously Disney pulling various... Uh, content offerings from Netflix to package into its own uh, product. And now we have a price for that. And we have the return, Owen, of bundling. You know, this is uh, certainly reminiscent, isn't it, of the cable, cable TV uh, bundle, I'd say. Yeah. And uh, it's certainly the uh, direction of travel, shall we say, that uh, uh, that this has been heading in for some time.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, we had a, a very good piece on the sports pro website by uh lewis wiltshire from mm-hmm. seven league on this um just uh, you know l- looking at, uh, at the concept of bundling and un- unbundling and, and some of the economic pressures that are being brought to bear on households by uh by this kind of preponderance of subscription services um you know and, and taking into account the fact that kind of piece by piece each of them represents pretty good value in and of themselves. Um, you know, all of these entertainment services, uh, Netflix and Spotify and whatever else, are great value. And even, even the sports services, when you take them, um, on their own terms, you know, are, are pretty well priced, but at a certain point, yeah. the pressure on uh, a monthly budget becomes a little bit too great. And, and you start to lose, uh, the value, um, that you get from unbundling. Um, you know, I mean, the, the other context for this, this Disney plus launch is obviously we're going to see an avalanche of new entertainment services in the U S uh, in the next 12 months or so. Um, we've got HBO max, we've got, you know, the likes of CBS launching dedicated subscription services, Apple TV, of course, or Apple plus. Um, and that's creating this battle, uh, not just for original content, but for legacy programming as well. I mean, there's a, a huge uh, bum fight that, that's gone on the last year or so about, you know, programs like friends. We're we're pretty used to these conversations in sport by now in terms of, um, you know, new services launching and, uh, and, and, uh, and the contest that goes on for rights, um, off the back of that. Uh, and we've also been expecting this shift from the kind of pay TV environment to OTT for a couple of years. Um, but this is, this is still, um, Disney's entry is still very interesting. Uh, for a few reasons. I mean, you know, the most eye-catching thing is probably that pricing. You know, it's, um, you know, you're, you're obviously getting that Disney Plus service, which is uh, kind of the Netflix competitor, the Amazon Prime competitor, um, and you're getting Hulu. And, you know, you're, you're not getting the full version, the full fat version of ESPN. You're getting ESPN Plus, which, you know, has some of its major assets, but then it's is kind of concentrating more on uh, on some other stuff, but it's still going to be pretty compelling for, for a lot of American consumers. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, that price point is also an indication of another advantage that Disney is going to have, which is just the scale of the company, the scale of the resources that it can throw at this, the amount of cash and savings and everything else that it can burn through, um, in service of, of kind of getting, uh, building up that user base. You know, that's a massive advantage in this kind of market entry as I, as I think we've seen uh, in the way that Netflix has used some of its venture backing. Um, and the other thing that's going to be fascinating to see from Disney's perspective is how it deploys that enormous IP library that it's got. You know, there's there's no company that that can probably match that. You think of stuff like Marvel and, and Star Wars and, you know, this is all before we, we kind of get onto the sports right side of things. Um, you know, this is a company that's just re-released... Or released a new version of one of its most beloved films, um, you know, and and made another 1.3 odd billion dollars out of it in the last few weeks. It's it's in a pretty decent position. There's not many companies that can do that.
1: No, absolutely. I think, you know, obviously Disney being the, what is it, the world's largest media conglomerate, um, and you've seen it uh, specifically in Disney's case, you know, tooling up uh, in the last two or three years, with the acquisition of Bantech, uh the yeah. Fox buyout, and, yeah. and its increased stake in Hulu, and, and the launch of ESPN Plus, I think taken together, it's uh, it's a sign of you know the company switching its own strategy in in this direction. And but I think you're right. You know, scale is going to be crucial in this kind of space, uh, not only in the the breadth and the scale of the content on offer, but just the the scale of the of the companies and the, and their operations. You know, I think Lewis Wiltshire mentions in his piece, as you alluded to, um, you know, alongside Disney you've got the likes of Amazon and Apple and these these major tech firms that can can kind of uh you know stomach the loss on on uh or you know they're able to offer these services at a lower price point perhaps and uh you know make up the the difference elsewhere. But I think um yeah this is um it's a it's an intriguing intriguing dynamic now uh, from a consumer perspective it's something that we've spoken about with people in the industry for some time now and this uh, just this sense with the proliferation of, of standalone services that we've that we've seen emerge over the over recent years uh, whether that's clubs and leagues launching their own services or uh, pure play kind of ott services like the or eleven sports coming online uh there's there's certainly been this trend towards you know this tipping point for the consumer when there's going to be and and it is a it is a, a industry term now I suppose but subscription fatigue uh where there's there's no longer uh you know value for, for to be able to access the the kind of uh, the same breadth of content that you would get as part of a cable subscription so ultimately there was naturally going to be some consolidation there I think We've already seen it in the US, I think, with, I think it was ES, uh, Disney, ESPN kind of um, es- essentially swallowing up the MLS live service and offer- offering that as part of its package. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's certainly an interesting uh, play from Disney. And I think, you know, you're looking at the the rights that they've acquired in recent years as well, with the UFC and, and Formula One. I think they're the only major network in the US with rights to all four of the major leagues. Obviously, acquiring kind of NHL rights as part of the BAMTech deal, um, and so they, they this offering, you know, there, there's a bit of live sport on Hulu, live sport on ESPN Plus, albeit not the as you say the full fat version. But uh, you know, this is a re- this is Disney doubling down on its on its major franchises, its major properties, and it's huge. You know, what is essentially a huge huge rights annual rights outlay um to bundle together a service that ultimately is it's is surely gonna draw people in. I mean they they will have seen um the success that ESPN has had in its first first months of operation and very quickly getting to a couple of million subscribers. Yeah. Um and obviously they're all powered by Bam Tech. I mean they they are, you know, they they've got that end to end offering now. Um they they always had it, but they've bundled it together, I suppose, into this product that is going to be, going to is a sign of things to come, surely.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You would you'd have to think so. Um, and I think that the impact of this is going to be measured in a few ways. I mean, um, one and, and probably the most pertinent one for the sports industry today is is kind of how much sports rights are going to become a part of this contest. You know, this this race for for market share from. All of these entrants into the OTT uh, streaming space, um, you know, we we've, we've seen Amazon, of course, um, experimenting with rights in a few territories, with the Premier League in this country, for example, um, with with tennis, um, you know, and uh, Disney, of course, is, is coming in with all of those rights from its from its own channels and and, and from ESPN, um, from Hulu, as you say, um, but you know, is. It, we, we're going to see, you know, for all these big media companies, how much the emphasis is going to be on those entertainment packages. Um, and particularly now that so much content is, is kind of going to be up for grabs and, um, and it is going to be a magnet for new users to those, uh, to those services, um, the other side of it. And, you know, this is a, a kind of a, a broader and, and deeper question is, you know, the, is, is how how you round out some of these offers. And I think, um, you know, Disney and, and Amazon, uh, are probably best place to offer kind of more rounded, um, subscription packages. I mean, when you, when you look at Amazon prime, you know, that's basically a subscription to the very best of, of the kind of Amazon e-commerce ecosystem. You know, you, you pay your monthly fee, you get your free delivery. Um, you get your, uh, your prime video and your music or whatever on, on, on top of that, which is a different way of, of thinking about an entertainment subscription. And, you know, Disney can do that differently within the entertainment space. I mean, you know, they, if you think about what they do in publishing, what they do in, uh, in live entertainment, um, there's this guy called, uh, Scott Galloway who is, um, uh, who appears on the the pivot podcast. He's an NYU Stern, uh, professor of, of business and, and marketing and so on. And, um, You know, he has an entrepreneurial background, um, and he, he's been talking about Disney's potential to take this offer and and create something that's much, much bigger, um, you know, that might be access to theme parks. It might be access to, to cruises, to other, other live entertainment events that Disney are involved in, or other kind of bits of, of the Disney universe that you can, um, you can invite families into as as kind of a part of a, a flat fee. Um, And I think that, you know, if we're talking about the the economic pressures that there are on families, then these things are uh, going to inform their decisions in in a lot of ways. And I think that this throws the kind of OTT discussion open in in a few ways that that we might not be that attuned to yet. I mean, you know, something that I, um, I mean, I explored this in my column a little bit last week, which is some of the. The other settings, the other contexts mm-hmm. um, in which people have got used to paying subscriptions or are getting used to paying subscriptions you know and if you if you take these things together, you might start to see something that's more of a drift towards that kind of membership uh concept you know so rather than uh, you know I want to watch Premier League football, ergo I will take out a sky sports subscription um you know you, you you're you're taking things in the round and and you're becoming a a member of a particular service and uh, you know, it's just something that I wonder about how how teams, how leagues, you know, other promoters or, or rights holders are going to think about that and, and kind of incorporate that kind of uh, that kind of concept into into their activities when they when they go deeper into the OTT space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and where do you think, Owen, uh, this leaves the, the you know the sports industry rights holders, broadcasters within this space that have launched? perhaps standalone or specialist kind of OTT services. I know there's always going to be the caveat in this industry in that sport is so kind of market or locally relevant, if you like, and no two markets are the same, no two sports are the same, no two rights holders' objectives are the same. Um, But, you know, we've seen, you know, a whole array of properties now launching these OTT services, trying to get out ahead of it to capture you know, and strengthen that kind of direct to consumer relationship and putting products out into the market? Will we see some, perhaps some scaling back, whether that's in pricing or in, you know, how and, and where that's delivered, perhaps? Will they look to, uh, you know, these content kind of aggregators more so now? Does that, do it, given that this idea of subscription fatigue is now you know really is taking hold i mean there's there's obviously no one size fits all with any of this is there in terms of a route to market but in terms of so it's pretty hard to generalize i suppose if you're thinking about strategy
0: and yeah you know. I, I think that yeah i think that's exactly it people are going to have to measure and analyze and uh and set objectives you know on their own terms i mean for the next few years rights holders are still going to be trying different things on different platforms you know linear is still going to be a thing i mean um you know we, we've we spent the summer in this country talking about free to air you know and uh and, and striking the right balance between reach and and revenue so it's it's always going to be important to set objectives um and to understand what you need yeah. from the marketplace and, and not just react to to broad trends you know blindly um but what's going to be what's going to be fascinating alongside that you know is is how um the biggest rights holders especially uh you know how they can offer how they can build out offers beyond just video content you know if if you are a league or um or a team and you decide to take the majority of your content in house and market it yourself you know do you start adding ticketing to that do you start adding offers on merchandising or um, or other live experiences, you might be able to create different packages that way that create different points of access to the market. You know, there's there's tons to consider. I mean, um, this week the NFL expanded its partnership with uh, with Sport Radar. You know, betting is a big part of sport. It's it's obviously going to become a bigger part of it in the states. Um, you know, I mean that that might be a, a pretty controversial aspect to get into, but but gaming and and other gamified interactive options that could be a more universal part of it or a a, a broader um a broader part of it so you know and i think we're already seeing services with that more kind of all-encompassing outlook um when you think about i mean golf tv is the one that jumps out because that's not just basing itself on the live rights but that lifestyle component um, they're talking about you know plugging into e-commerce plugging into bookings plugging into travel all that kind of thing so again it's just thinking about things that have the potential to be you know more a membership than a subscription
1: yeah i think so i think you you're kind of striking at the heart of what what ott is and and you know as this is taking shape and this uh, this whole kind of burgeoning industry is now kind of uh, you know the the pieces are now falling into place and i think golf tv is a good example we spoke about it pretty extensively went around the launch of that, that particular service. But this idea of creating a, a whole kind of end-to-end digital ecosystem where video, uh, whether live or non-live, any kind of programming, original or, or otherwise, is, is all part of a broader ecosystem where you know rights holders traditionally in their business is to bring uh you know bums on seats isn't it to bring fans into live events uh but to sell merchandise and and all the other revenue streams all collectively housed within this digital ecosystem now is obviously the is is where things are heading and i think um interestingly i think uh, i think it was john skipper when he was still at espn talking about uh, the, ahead of the launch of ESPN Plus and, and Disney's moves into, you know, this kind of digital digital uh, pivot that they they performed. Um, talking about, uh, yeah, I think he quoted the Who, uh, you know, the, the the new boss same as the old boss. I can't remember the exact quote of what it is, but uh, you know, you, you're still going to have these these legacy players like a Disney to, to tie this back um, that are able to offer these broad services, these all-encompassing services, where sport is one part of a broader ecosystem. And I think um, uh, it, it, it's certainly one to watch. I and mean, it's certainly something for readers of Sports Pro Magazine. Hopefully, they'll, they'll find interesting in the next issue in that uh, we'll be taking a closer look at Disney and, and tying together some of these moves and, and try to make sense of their strategy from a, a kind of broad view. So uh, stay tuned for that.
0: Quite beautifully plugged. And I think the perfect point to cap off that conversation. So uh, we will be back with you in just a moment. We're going to be talking about Saudi Arabia. Welcome back to the Sports Pro podcast. Uh, Now, Mike, uh, you and I, a few months ago, Uh, We spent quite some time talking about the growing influence of Saudi Arabia on the sports industry uh, and the points at which that collided with geopolitics and some of the nefarious activities you hear alleged of the Saudi regime. Um, It was a conversation that was never likely to go too far away despite all of the news developments that we had towards the end of last year. And indeed, in the last week, we've had reports in the times of discussions around a potential Saudi Arabia Grand Prix for Formula One. Um, And then towards the end of last week uh, and early this, confirmation that Ruiz Joshua 2, the rematch for multiple versions of World Boxing's heavyweight title, will be taking place in Diria on the 7th of December, the clash on the dunes. What was your reaction when you heard, um, well, when you heard both of those stories, really?
1: Um, to
0: be honest, Owen, I mean, it's I,
1: you know, I wasn't surprised. I think we're going to see, uh, you know, Saudi influence, Saudi money, find its way into just about every sport where, you know, the major sports. Let's say, I mean, we've seen it in football, we've seen it in golf. Um, uh, what else? Motorsport uh now boxing you know obviously they're looking to assert their influence and there are going to be inevitable questions raised and uh rightly so i think if if they are looking to to use sports to raise their their profile to soften it whatever they're trying to achieve here um they're going to have to face up to this this scrutiny around their their human rights record and everything else um so yeah my my reactions was probably as you know as everyone else. I, I wasn't following the the specifics of the the story around specifically around the Joshua Ruiz fight and where that that may or may not have been staged. I know there was, uh, you know, one side was keen to stage it in Mexico and the other was keen to stage it in the US. But um, yeah, obviously money talks as ever. But uh, yeah, what, what were your thoughts, Owen? Because I know you have some pretty uh, strong, strong views on Saudi Arabia.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. Obviously, you know, it, it it's disappointing whenever somebody chooses to to make that decision. Um. I think most people would prefer. Um. And, and you know, I'm choosing my words carefully here, but most people prefer to see more progress. Uh. In terms of how Saudi, in terms of how Saudi society is administered and how the government does its thing. Um, before we start seeing big sports events and, and celebrations and so on in that particular country. Um, but, you know, it's, it's worth examining the dynamics of how these events are going to happen and um, how they're going to be brought to uh, to the kingdom. Uh, because, you know, as you say, for Ruiz Joshua 2, there were discussions about doing it in the US again. Um, you know, Ruiz, as the champion, might have expected to have a little bit more leverage in in these matters but obviously had signed to a to a rematch clause so you know he's part of a collective decision on that ultimately um but he had he talked about wanting to do it in mexico he'd uh, he's still reportedly saying that they should be doing it in the states um there was talk of uh of going to cardiff taking joshua back to the principality stadium and, and doing it under the roof there you know in a big um big stadium showing you know that that that's another intriguing part of um of this decision and and this promotion and how it's unfolding is that we've got so used to these big big stadium shows from Matchroom um for for Joshua Fights you know you think about 90,000 at at Wembley Stadium or or 80,000 at Cardiff in the past um instead it's going to be you know this purpose-built temporary facility in Deria uh maybe 12,000 people um the telegraph are reporting that Saudi organizations have spent about $100 million to make this happen. Uh, Mike Coppergate at The Athletic um, has said that the site fee will be $40 million. The uh, Zone, of course, they're going to be streaming the fight in the US. Um, John Wall Street has cited a source saying that the uh, Zone had no say, zero, in where the fight will take place. Um, but that publication also noting that. Uh, it will pay less to stream the fight from Saudi Arabia than it would have done uh, in the US. Uh, I think it's worth reflecting as well on on Eddie Hearn's comments on this. Um, you know, I think it's this is going to be kind of the the pattern, the the, the communications uh, pattern that will uh, that will form itself around these events. Um, you know, he was in London uh, earlier this week. He was uh, fronting up to to the media. On uh, about the promotion and and was in fairly combative mood. I think it's fair to say. You know, he said he said that Joshua is um, is very comfortable about the fight being in Saudi Arabia. I mean, inevitably, there's been uh, some strong reaction from from the likes of Amnesty International around this, who've asked uh, asked the promoters and asked Joshua himself to uh, to inform himself of the human rights situation and um, and about the the case of Jamal Khashoggi and. Uh, the situation in Yemen and so on, um, but when you know Hearn was confronted uh, on this subject by the media, uh, he said, uh, "I knew that when we made the decision, not every response would be positive, and that there will be criticism and controversy. Uh, I'm a boxing promoter, and sometimes the criticism and the curiosity will lead to an event of an extraordinary magnitude, which is um, it's pretty frank. Um, I think you got to say." the other aspect of his comments that was interesting that i think is is going to set this pattern that i'm i'm talking about i think is is probably already emerging to be fair uh you know he he said he'd be lying if if this wasn't about money or, or words to that effect um obviously the financial aspect of this is pretty significant um you know he talked about the age of the population that 70% uh he said were we're under the age of 24 which is a, a huge opportunity but he also said, quote, there has been a lot of talk about where this fight would be held. For us, we wanted to go somewhere that believed in the sport of boxing, who had a vision, uh, end quote. Um, and I feel I feel like that word vision is, is going to recur when people are talking about events in, in Saudi Arabia. I think it's really going to be um, a part of the packaging. Um, he went on to say, uh, we have to realise that there is a world outside of Cardiff and Madison Square Garden, this event could change boxing forever you could be seeing a big change in the dynamics of the sport um you know he also that global thing is that being his vision for anthony joshua you know it's something he's discussed in the past taking him to nigeria to china and so on that being really what will make him um a global fighter um but i feel like the, the vision thing is is going to recur you know not just in in the context of boxing but in 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 other sports, other events, um, because you know, if you just said, well, we felt like we could put on a highly polished event here, or you know, financially, it, it was uh, it was very advantageous for us, which are all the, the obvious things. You know, it, it's not going to um to take on some of that criticism that 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 is inevitably going to follow. Uh, so I feel like the playbook here is going to be that this is part of a, a reframing of of Saudi culture and 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 of of sports role in that um you know there's a clear strategy to kind of build up blocks of of sport that that create this sense of create a bit of traction and create this sense of, of something more holistic going on I mean you know the fact that they're the local authorities are, are said to be interested in Formula One having already uh, hosted Formula E obviously that ties into an automotive strategy you can um you know and, and and some of the reforms around the kind of marginal reforms around uh, women drivers and so on. These things will all kind of fit together, I guess. Um, but it's something we will see more of. It's something when you think of the role of uh, of Saudi money and things like the SoftBank Vision Fund and in backing startups in uh, in tech and so on. It's it's given them uh, an influence in a whole range of of areas of people's lives. Um, and I suppose it's it's a foregrounding of what we've known for decades about. You know the Saudi government's relationship with um, with Western and uh, or, or democratic countries uh, and governments around the world uh, when it comes to security matters, uh, when it comes to energy and, and and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I to be honest, Darren, I, I I don't think I could frame it any better, and I I, I fully agree. To be honest, I think. Um, You know, you just like to see some real progress made and you see kind of fractional gains and and fractional moves towards progress. You know, certainly uh, kind of trickle out in terms of Saudi, uh, the Saudi regime and Saudi uh, culture and the way of life there. But um, so we'll wait and see. I think obviously from Eddie Hearn and Matchroom's point of view, it, it makes commercial and financial sense to head there. I just question whether it's it's short-term thinking, whether it's, you know, they they're not um, they're not there to to kind of, you know, give a, a an ethical or, or moral kind of viewpoint on things. I think if they look at the numbers, they 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 stand up. So uh, you can see it from that side. I think. Obviously, some confusion in this particular case around whether women can attend the event, and I think you know, obviously, with the the way things are headed, it's just kind of crazy that in twenty nineteen that this that's that's kind of one of the one of the um, questions people ask ultimately, and uh, you know, you just want to see some real real progress made.
0: Yeah, and particularly when you think that you know another prominent name in the matchroom stable is uh, is Katie Taylor. Mm, indeed. Another industry angle on this, you know, and it's, it's it's a story that resurfaces fairly often without ever seeming to move very far. Then um, it's it's not directly relevant to, to this case, but um, it's it's be out Q. Mm. You know, but we, we still have Saudi authorities insisting that that they have nothing to do with it, um, that they're not aware of of who's who's running it. We have rights holders uh, increasingly coming out. Um, circulating releases condemning it, and 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 telling the people behind it to kind of uh, to cease and desist. Um, we've had reports of the the Women's World Cup being aired illegally on the platform, of, uh, of Premier League coverage being promoted um, despite them obviously not being a legal rights holder uh, or a legal rights owner, I should say. You know, and and you feel like as part of the wider picture of um, of, of the kind of embrace of, of of saudi arabia uh as, as as an influence in uh in organized global sport that there needs to be some kind of resolution to this and it, and it feels like the only one is for it to stop um you know uh, but it's hard to say where and whether there has been any progress in it um you know perhaps you've heard something that i haven't in in that particular case
1: no i i certainly haven't i I'm more interested to know that, you know, to be a fly on the wall in some of these meetings where an international promoter, uh, you know, goes in, in, in negotiations with the, with the Saudi sports authorities over staging events uh, in the country. Um, you know, presumably the al will not be ripping off the Zone's stream of this, uh, given matchrooms tie ties to the, to, uh, to the zone. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, is, is that addressed at all on purely on that kind of case by case basis? I don't know. But I think, yes, you're right. This is, this is something that clearly is concerning the industry at large. And, uh, you know, you can't, if you're the Saudi authorities, ultimately, you surely can't have it both ways. I mean, there's a perception, certainly that, that joint statement issued by UEFA and FIFA and a number of uh, European leagues, uh, football leagues uh recently that you know ultimately they're 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 kind of powerless really to 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 halt this operation, which has clearly has has grown in sophistication um and obviously that won't sit well, but you know how how do you approach that? how do you ultimately bring about a resolution to this i mean uh I don't see any end in sight, but then i think as with most of this stuff, I think the b l q uh situation goes to a real high you know high level mm. you know, geopolitical level mm. that uh no power brokers in specifically from the sports industry are going to ultimately change that course i don't think but may maybe i'm wrong and may maybe maybe sport does have a part to play in the in in the grand scheme of things but um i don't know i wouldn't want to comment exactly on that
0: no, and I suppose, um, I suppose being will be the ones applying pressure to rights holders on this, and you know, intimating that if there's not some solution, they'll they'll pull out. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah, they've been banging that drum for for quite some time now, and it's having
1: seemingly little to no no impact, other than you know the rights holders themselves stepping up their efforts. But ultimately, there's. Uh, there are roadblocks in the way, so it's uh, it's hard to see how this this gets resolved.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, until it does, uh, it is no doubt something we'll be hearing a lot more about. Um, and as we said, we'll be hearing a fair bit more about Saudi Arabia in general in the context of major sports events. Uh, we're going to take a quick break there. Uh, when we return, we'll be hearing from Anuk Mertens of Eleven Sports Group. Back in a sec. Enjoying this Sports Pro podcast? Well, we're also the sports industry leader in print, digital, and events. Head to sportspromedia.com for the latest features, news, and interviews from the business of sport. Help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else. Get inside the industry with Sports Pro. Final part of the Sports Pro podcast uh, a few parish notices to cover, Mike, before we move on to the interview. Um, Our events team has been flat out recently. Lots coming up from them. First of those is the Black Book Motorsport Forum. It's the global meeting place for the motorsport industry. Uh, That's going to be taking place at the Leonardo Royal Hotel Tower Bridge in London on the 28th of August. We had Peter Jones on the podcast last week, of course, uh, talking through some of the themes in the motorsport industry for 2019, as well as what to expect from that event. Um, I highly recommend you give that a listen if you haven't already. Um, Speakers at BBMF from W Series, from Formula One, Eurosport, New Balance, Sky Sports, NASCAR, uh, more promoters there, more teams, more sponsors, more broadcasters. Should be a great day if you're in the business of motorsport blackbookmotorsportforum.com is where you need to go to find out more about that one. Uh, that is coming up ahead of the inaugural SportsPro Fan Conference. You'll have heard a lot about this one already, taking place at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on the 10th of September. Speakers there from the likes of Budweiser, the FA, uh, ICC Cricket World Cup 2019, Angry Birds, Aid, the Olympic Channel, Uh, Major League Baseball, and plenty more. There will be further announcements due on that, I think, very shortly as well. So do keep an eye out. 10th of September, sportsprofan.com for all the information you'll need. And finally, rounding out the year. You're nearly there. You're nearly there. (laughs) Doing so well. Uh, The third SportsPro OTT Summit will be in Madrid. From the 19th to the 21st of November, the usual high class of speakers and attendees uh, looking at the digital future of sports broadcasting, uh, no doubt covering some of the topics that we looked at at the start of this podcast. Um, and for the first time this year, we teased it a little bit last week, um, but we'll also be staging the Sports Pro OTT Awards. Those are taking place on the 21st of November. Categories include innovation of the year, best tech company, best marketing campaign, best user experience, platform of the year, the anti-piracy award, best digital first production, and best in fan engagement. We've got a fantastic judging panel who are putting their heads above the parapet for that one. Uh, Head to sportspro-ottawards.com for all the details on how to enter. Uh, if you know of any outstanding work that ought to be recognised in the first OTT Awards. Very exciting stuff indeed. Looking forward to all of that, Mike? Of course, Owen. Of course. How couldn't I be? Exactly. Exactly. Right, to wrap up this week then, uh, you will be aware, Mike, and most of our listeners will be aware again from last week because Sam Karp was good enough to detail it all for us that it is Women in Sports Week on the SportsPro Pro website, on sportspromedia.com. Uh, there is a fantastic collection of interviews and features, not just on women's sport, but on some of the leading executives representing women in the sports industry uh, and trying to effect meaningful change and bring about lasting diversity. Uh, one of those women is Anouk Mertens, who is the Chief Operating Officer of 11 Sports Group. Uh, They've had an interesting year, very busy year, uh, right across some of the challenges and opportunities that exist, not just in the OTT space, uh, but in traditional and linear broadcasting as well across a whole range of markets. It's gone better for them in some than others, it must be said. Um, But anyway, Sam caught up with Anouk for a quick chat after SportsPro Live back in the spring, uh, and she was good enough to share her thoughts on the Eleven Sports strategy from market to market, talk about her experience in the company, obviously taking on a new brief, having been head of the service in Belgium, Um, what it means to represent women in the sports industry uh, and the growth of women's sport, and also some of the technological advances that Eleven have been involved with uh, that are changing the way that people watch sport. Right, let's take a listen.
2: Thank you very much for talking to us. Um, first of all, if you wouldn't mind just telling me kind of how you found the transition into your new role, obviously as your CEO now and uh, moving up from the role just overseeing the the market in Belgium and Luxembourg.
3: Well, I joined uh, Eleven Sports really at the beginning, uh, so um, I've been with the company for almost four years now. Um, in running the Belgian business, uh, we, I've learned a lot on how to do that and how you know to expand into a market that's completely new um, and. I've been dealing with all kinds of uh, uh, topics there, so the operator deals, but also setting up the production, uh, selecting the teams and make sure that we build like a good sustainable business in Belgium. So from that experience, getting to a new role as COO within the group, you take the, that experience to, you know, the new countries that we are in different stages of development and try to optimize and, and look for synergies and just take the learnings that we had and bring them to other companies, so, uh, so to the other countries. So that, that's actually fun. Uh, it's what, what's, uh, yeah, what, what I like to do. And uh, So the transition was rather smooth for me.
2: Uh, sure. Yeah. And, um, obviously, I mean, you, you mentioned now in, in Belgium and Luxembourg, you're hmm. kind of overseeing one market from top yeah. to bottom. How does that kind of compare now to having all these different nodes that you've got, got to kind of manage at the same time?
3: Yeah, it's, it's uh, obviously, you know the Belgian market really well. I'm, I'm raised and I'm born in Belgium. Uh, so the challenge is looking at all these different markets. We are in eleven territories now, and in, in spread all over the world. So you need to make yourself familiar with the local, you know, habits of those markets. Uh, but we have great teams in every single market that are building the business, that make that local uh, uh, connection uh, to to the fans in in each market. So that helps in in you know getting there and looking for how to optimize uh, how we run a business.
2: Sure, and I mean Eleven's expanding all the time, it's been fairly rapid up to now. Yeah. How, do you, how do you guys kind of identify which markets you want to move into next and, and and whether the audiences are going to kind of be responsive to your approach?
3: It's it's kind of um, a model where we look opportunistically at where the opportunities lie and sometimes it's a rights holder that, that says, well, there is an opportunity in a certain market but also, from a group level, we have quite some experience in uh, working internationally in sports, so we know a lot of markets, um, we do a lot of research as well. We have research companies you know, investigating in, in, into markets, we have our own research team, so we try to assess when entering a market on you know, what's the potential of those market, how does the competitive situation look like, what rights are available, and based on that combination of factors, we decide it's interesting for us to enter or not. Um, so that's what we have been doing so far, and obviously, when when launching and having your own OTT uh, platform, data comes back as well. So you learn a lot as you you go along about how the fans react to your product, to what you're offering, to the games, and you improve uh, uh, from there.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you ever kind of set yourselves a target of? say, being in X amount of markets by this time, or do you find that's evolving all the time, purely because of those opportunities that arise?
3: We haven't set a fixed target. Obviously, we want to grow. Uh, We do want to grow in a sensible way, so we need to make sure that every market we enter, we look at carefully, um, and and there are uh, several opportunities uh, to come in the the near future.
2: Sure, and um, when you mentioned there, obviously, the OTT platforms, you operate a number of different services in these different markets, how do you kind of, how is it that you determine uh, what distribution model is going to be best? Is it kind of data informing your approach quite significantly? I know you mentioned that the market mm. research that you carry out. Yeah,
3: in in every market is different, and um, but one thing is is very similar in each market. We what well, we say we want to be platform agnostic, so we want to be everywhere, which means that we do deals with you know the typical operators in the markets, the telcos, the the cable platforms, the IPTV providers, but also say well if we want to reach out to bigger fan base OTT becomes important so we try to get people in that typically don't subscribe to you know the bigger packages of those platforms Um, so that combination makes it uh, a model that works for us Um, I think definitely working with the existing uh, partners in the market is key in most markets and what we do in OTT will come on top of that and I'll be addressing younger fans and, and just growing uh, the fan base in each country.
2: Sure, and I guess it, as we're in the UK, I guess it'd be relevant to talk about the market here. And um, what have you kind of learned from your experiences here, and kind of how do you how do you hope to sort of um, kind of overcome those going forward?
3: Yeah, we entered the, the UK obviously with the same model as we have in other uh, countries, with the ambition to have like distribution deals with with everybody in the market. What we've learned is that the UK particularly is a very uh, close and difficult market. Um, that having said, what we've learned as well is that there is an appetite for uh, viewers to watch uh, at lower price points uh, certain content. That's why we decided to continue with La Liga and, and we see good performance on that. Um, we are revisiting now and see if that mo- this model will be continuing the next uh, season. But also we're talking to other rights uh, holders to see how we can add those content on an OTT-only platform. Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. And- one thing that Eleven's kind of done in its early in its early stages, roll out these innovative viewing features. I know there's the mm. um, sort of Skype-style watch together pl- uh, feature mm-hmm. that has been kind of influences. You've had uh, commentating on games or acting as pundits, mm. and then obviously more recently the uh, the pay per view offering with uh, with One Football. How important do you kind of think it is for new entrants to markets to offer fans these unique propositions?
3: Well, I think in this DNA, it's digital innovation is is really key, and and also for for Eleven Sports. If we want to grow our business and want to reach more fans, we need to be innovative. Watch Together is, is one of the I think the coolest things we have launched uh, recently. Um, we've seen it uh, picking up uh, really well. Uh, we see lots of engagement. Uh, for example, if we it's early days, but looking at what we did around the Classico, you see the engagement and viewing uh, time on the Classico almost double in the Watch Together way than the traditional way which means that there is an appetite for fans to just share the experience and have like this digital living room or experience where you can actually see uh, your the reaction and the emotions of, of your, your peers and and, uh, and share that. So I think that's something that we definitely going to roll out in other countries as well. Um, one football is a different innovation but also uh, relates to you know, being everywhere. If we talk about price points and we want to reach out to, to younger fans that are not willing to pay like big subscriptions, well, you can offer them a pay-per-view uh, model. So it's an on-top business for us. If people are actually watching and consuming information around the game, it's all, only a small step to actually buy the game on that platform. So we try to reach out uh, everywhere where the fans are. And, and on one football they have a lot.
2: And I mean, um, just more generally speaking, I mean, when, you, when we come to these... Sports industry events. It's always quite refreshing when we see more women in the room. Mm. Um, I mean, what are your kind of experiences of working in the sports industry and kind of do you think more opportunities are opening up at the, board, at the boardroom level for women?
3: I think I think uh, there are. You see a lot of lots of women in sports now. Um, my first steps in sport was in 2002 and actually produced uh, the World Cup, uh, in, uh, and, and that was quite an experience. I was quite young at the time, and then people said, well, uh, we have a woman running the show here and a, and a public broadcaster. But lots has changed since then. Um, and I always uh, try to look at you know, mentors and, and make sure that you have a good network in place and, and, and grow it from there. And, uh, and I think uh, there is a good future for women in the business.
2: Sure. And I mean, obviously, women's sport now is kind of on an upsurge in popularity, especially in this country. I mean, mm-hmm. the Lioness is the football team of have never been so popular, I don't think, and also netball, a number of women's sports mm. are flourishing. Do you think, um, as someone obviously working in the media industry, do you think there's been a shift in the media perception of how women's sport is portrayed as well?
3: I think there is. And and, and also from an from 11 point of view, looking at what we do in countries, so obviously we have like the bigger properties in our market, but it's starting to focus as well on, on women's sports, especially in Portugal. Uh, we have lots of content that we'll be adding there. So I think it's our role as well to you know open up... Uh, uh, to more women's sports and make sure they get a the platform uh, at 11 Sports as well.
2: Perfect. Thank you very much. Appreciate You're it. You're
0: welcome. Okay, that'll do it for another sports pro podcast. Many thanks to Sam Karp and Anouk Mertens just there. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, obviously, we've got some very exciting stuff coming up right across all of SportsPro's output. Over the next few months. Uh, But we're also hoping to take the podcast forward as well. We're looking at new formats, we're looking at what we can do on the production side, uh, who we can talk to, and what we can talk to them about. Uh, We appreciate all of you listening, and you can play a role in that growth as well. Um, Do be sure to like and share our stuff on all of the social channels and whatnot. Uh, If you've got nice things to say, Please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast service you prefer. Uh, and if there's anything you'd like us to talk about, to cover any topics that you, uh, you'd you like to get the Sports Pro Podcast treatment, we are all ears to coin a phrase. Uh, it's been a really fun few months or so since we went weekly, uh, and we'd like to make this into something really quite special. Don't you think so, Mike? Of course, Aaron. it's all, It's already special. We're going to make it specialer. Specialer. Absolutely. And on that note, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Owen. Always a pleasure. Speak soon. Bye-bye.